My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Kramer. Welcome to a very special San Francisco edition of Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. The people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make some money. My job, not just to entertain, educate, teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Look, you can't wait for an all clear sign. When you think a troubled business is ready to turn around, you need to buy its stock before the bad news comes to an end. Before. And that's the takeaway from today's fantastic action, where the Dow gained 92 points, the S&P climbed 0.41%, but the Nasdaq jumped 0.87%. Bye, bye, bye! It's a good instructive takeaway that must be put in context for you to understand and profit from. The best example, look at the semiconductor stocks. We've seen a remarkable reversal in this leadership group. The semis led us down last quarter, and now I think they have the ability to lead us higher this quarter, although a lot of people may find that hard to believe. The linchpin of this entire move is Micron, the commodity chipmaker that's been roaring all week thanks to a pair of upgrades, one Monday and another today, with a common theme. You can't wait for the price of DRAMs, that's Micron's main product, to bottom. You have to get in ahead of the bottom. These analysts who've been upgrading, they are absolutely right. The stock market is a forecasting machine that tends to look out about six months. People are buying Micron hand over fist here because they expect the company to be in a better place in the second half of the year. Makes sense to me, especially since Micron is currently selling for just 4.4 times earnings, making it the cheapest stock in the S&P 500. You heard me, the cheapest stock in the book. There's one problem, though. Before we get to the second half, we need to play through the first half. And Micron's next quarter is going to be ugly. How ugly? Earnings slash ugly. Will these buyers really be able to look past that when Micron reports in late March? Have they steeled themselves for some severe number cuts that they're going to get? Or will they panic, <laughs> stopping this entire rally in its tracks? That's the dilemma. And I think it's a perfect allegory for the broader stock market. So let's teach. First of all, why did Micron get obliterated in the first place? Supply and demand. Specifically, a ton of new supply coupled with a lack of demand. Think of Micron's DRAMs and its flash memory chips as the basic building blocks of the new economy, just like paper and chemicals are the basic building blocks of the old economy. The new economy was already in the doldrums before Fed Chief Jay Powell came out in early October and promised four more rate hikes. Those comments acted as an accelerant, sending the whole tech sector into a tailspin. Plus, the intensification of the trade war with China sure didn't help, did it? Making matters worse, demands seemed to peak just when lots of new supply was coming online for DRAMs and Flash. It's relatively easy for Micron and its competitors, chiefly its competitors, to build new factories. And whenever that happens, pricing tends to get crushed. That's why when Micron reported last month, the company had to slash its forecast, telling us that inventories were not, were not lean, not in balance, that the DRAM market had gone from tight to glut. Needless to say, the stock did not react well. So why the heck is it rebounding like crazy only a few weeks later? Management just told us business is awful. Aren't these bullish analysts jumping the gun? Sure, if you're only thinking about the next quarter. But like I told you before, this rally is about to turn in the second half. If you believe the trade war will simmer down, 
If you believe Fed Chief Jay Powell will hold off on raising interest rates, that he'll make decisions based on the actual data like he told us last week, then the worldwide economic expansion can restart and basic building blocks like Micron's chips can make a comeback in pricing. It's definitely not gun jumping if you listen to what Sanjay Marota, Micron CEO, told CNBC's own John Fort this morning at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. Smartphone unit demand, yes, tepid, but what's important to understand is that the content within the smartphones, amount of memory, the amount of flash storage that is needed actually continues to go up because of multiple cameras, because of AI-driven features in the phones. Uh So yes, I mean, uh, near term, some challenges. Micron continues to execute well on its plans, and we do expect demand environment to improve in the second half of calendar 2019. What a great interview. And that's exactly what we want to hear. And the pin action from Micron has ignited the entire cohort. Okay, get this. Last night, Skyworks Solutions, a chip maker with a lot of cell phone exposure, pre-announced a big shortfall. Yet its stock rallied nearly 4% today. Yet another illustration that you can't wait for a turn. You have to buy ahead of time. That franchise is totally intact. How about Broadcom exploding higher, up more than 4%? What did I tell you about Hot Can? He's money. Then there's NVIDIA. This former market darling has been cut in half thanks to an inventory glut in graphics cards. Well, that's a form of chip, which are also used for cryptocurrency mining. Remember, NVIDIA couldn't really figure out whether customers were using its chips for gaming or for crypto mining. Turns out the crypto exposure was larger than anyone expected. Fair enough, but that excess inventory is being worked off too. So the stock is bouncing. Curiously, yesterday, an analyst put out a note and the note argued that you would be gun jumping ahead of a bad quarter if you buy NVIDIA now. That caused a one-day sell-off. Now that the buyers are right back, betting that you can't wait for an all-clear sign from Jensen Wong, NVIDIA's visionary CEO. Hey, by the time we know for sure that business has turned, you will have missed the move. I like NVIDIA here. The company just cut prices for its new touring line of chips. One reason I believe their adoption will be far more rapid than Wall Street expects. Plus, NVIDIA never lost its hold on autonomous driving, machine learning, data center. The strength in those areas has just been obscured by the crypto collapse. Or how about one of my other faves? LAM Research, LRCX, the semiconductor capital equipment play. LAM's machines help manufacture all these chips that are currently in glut mode. This stock always, always, always bottoms well before management tells us that there's a customer weakness. Now, I don't expect this quarter to be anything to write home about, right? They're going to say things aren't so good, but that doesn't matter. And that's why the surge plus 5.2% today because of the current quarter seems odd, but it's not. It's what you have to do to get ahead of next year's numbers. Again, this move is all about anticipation. Or as Tim Curry put it in Rocky Horror Picture Show, anticipation. Now, these semiconductor names are a microcosm for the rest of the market. They're not alone. Many of these companies are like, land. this quarter's bad, but it'll be good next year. I've been predicting a bottom in the housing stocks ever since Powell put the kibosh on vast swaths of the economy in October. Sure enough, this morning, the largest home builder in America, Lenar, reported a shortfall. Yet its stock ended up rocketing 8%. What is that about? Well, it's because in the conference call, Chairman Stuart Miller said that traffic rates have improved since the peak in interest rates. CJ, this is what I'm talking about. Housing accounts for 10% of the economy, but it punches well above its weight. Uh, if it's improving, that is very good news for the U.S. economy, and I want Jay to let it happen. Look, I'm sure some of you are thinking, wait a second, Jimbo, we just had a fabulous jobs number. How the heck should we even be thinking about a recovery when the economy's barely begun to slow down? It's more complicated than that. It's more complicated than just employment. During the fourth quarter, we saw a real breakdown in many different parts of the economy. And even before then, housing and autos were rolling over. 
I think the Fed has cooled things just enough that they can afford to take a breather when it comes to more rate hikes. Remember, I favored the last rate hike, but now they can take a breather, which gives all of these stocks more room to rally. Bottom line, if you wait for ironclad proof that a troubled business has turned itself around, you'll miss most of the upside from that turn. That's why these remarkable rallies in stocks like Micron make sense to me here. And the next time stocks drop, I need you to think about this group. It's bottomed, and the rally, it's just beginning. Let's take calls. I want to start with, how about Marcy in New Jersey? Marcy! Hi, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. Years ago, I watched you and Larry Kudlow faithfully, and I made some good profits, so I'm your loyal fan. There you go. I like that. My my question is simple, Jim. What is your forecast for Boeing, considering its recent precipitous drop, yet yesterday it delivered 806 planes? Will its stock rise like a rocket ship if there's a deal with China, or are there other variables to consider before adding more to my position in Boeing? Marcy, the way for the Chinese to be able to come to the peace table and get things rolling is to say, you know what? We are a quarter of Boeing's planes. That is true. And we want double the number of planes. They need them. That would be the signal. I say, and bye, bye, bye to the greatest manufacturer in America, Boeing. May I speak to Nancy in Oregon? Nancy. Hi, Kramer. I love your show. Thank you. The, The question I have today is on Altria. With Altria's cigarette volumes down, their big investment move with Kronos Marijuana Company, their divided loyalties with Philip Morris over e-cig and the IQS electronic cigarette. Do you think they are a buy or not? And why? No. I know. I think you should be buying Constellation Brands, which owns a far superior. Uh, Cronus is a good company. It's number two to number one, okay, which is Canopy. I think you want to own Canopy through Constellation. Now that that stock has been cut by so much and you're getting Canopy for free. Wow. How about these viewers? Remembers me from Cudlow and Kramer. Those are ancient. And then Oregon, where my daughter lives. Today's theme is you have to buy ahead of the bad news. You can't wait for the all clear. Case in point, the semis. Oh, man, tonight, today's drop in Constellation SCZ may have you needing a drink. But I'll find out if the decline in Corona Modelo is a red flag or a buying opportunity. Then with news that Apple's reportedly cutting iPhone production by 10%, ooh, really scary. Has the sun set on the greatest wealth creator of any company? I'm breaking down the latest in Apple after my interview last night. And canopy growth is surging today, but it could deliver a lasting high. Well, we got to check in with the CEO. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Okay, what the heck just happened to the stock of Constellation Brands, STZ? This Kramer Fay Booze Company, best known for selling Corona Modelo here in the U.S., well, they also have a bunch of wine and liquor brands, saw its stock get obliterated today, down more than 12% in the wake of what everybody panned. Disappointing quarter. While Constellation sales and earnings both came in higher than expected, there was some real hair on the results from margin erosion in the beer business to disappointing volumes in wine and spirits. But what really crushed the stock was the guidance. 
Management slashed the full year earnings forecast from $9.60 to $9.75 per share down to $9.20 to $9.30. All I can say is, ouch. We've got to get to the bottom of this. As Constellation stock has now come down 34% from its highs this October, these levels, maybe it's too cheap to ignore. Do not take it from me. We need to dig deeper here. So let's check in with Rob Sands, the outgoing CEO of Constellation Brands, and Bill Newlands, who's the president and chief operating officer who takes over CEO in March. Mr. Sands, Mr. Newlands, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks. Thanks, Jim. Okay, Rob, I'm going to come to you first. Uh, magnitude of the decline and overreaction, given the fact that you still made the quarter? Yeah, I think it's a total overreaction. I, you know, number one, the quarter was a great quarter. Uh, I would say the total reaction is the change in our guidance, was, which was really uh, from 935 uh, to 950, we changed the guidance to 920 to 930. So the guidance that you quoted uh, included um, 25 cents, which we had said all along uh, needed to be deducted from the guidance. Right. But, but that said, it's totally a function of the change in our guidance. And um, the change of our guidance is also totally a function of, I would say, a disappointing uh, or are anticipating a disappointing year uh, on the wine and spirit side. And I think even more specifically, okay, where the disappointment is, is in the low end of our wine business. And that's our portfolio of wines that are under uh, $11, basically, which that segment of the wine industry um, is performing very poorly. Um, It's something that we identified actually several months ago. And uh, we said that we were pursuing strategic alternatives for uh, that uh, segment of our business. And um, in fact, we are and uh, expect to come to some conclusions relative to that uh, in the near future. So I guess I would just conclude by saying that uh, the the business, the growth, even the margins are 100% intact, except for, uh, as I said, some disappointment in the low end of the wine business. Uh, we did have a little bit of margin dilution on the right. beer side, which was really due to a one-time expense in the third quarter. And other than that, we're expecting uh, margins to remain flattish um, at, at, at the very high level of uh, roughly 39%. Okay. Well, let me ask uh, Bill. Bill, on the conference call, uh, Pablo Zwanek, who happened to be on CNBC earlier today, he's talking about in beer, uh, Corona Extra Core brand down about 10%, Corona Light down about 20%, Modelo Especial, uh, cannibalized from Familiar. I mean, this man came on air basically and said, listen, it's not just wine and spirits. It's actually beer. And beer is starting to turn into the beer company that other beer companies are. Can you try to give us a little more perspective? Because you're growing a lot faster than the other beer companies. We certainly are, Jim. When you look at our beer business, our year-to-date depletions are up 9%. And as we said on the call, uh, our December depletions, which represent 60% of the coming quarter, are actually up higher than that amount. So we're very pleased about our beer business. You know, one of the things he was alluding to is the introduction of Premier, which has gone exponentially better than anyone anticipated. We've done roughly twice the amount of Premier than we had expected to do. And that has certainly had some attachment to our other beer portfolio. But when you think about the fact that the Corona brand franchise is up 8% depletions year to date, we've got an extremely strong brand family. 
Well, he also uh, alluded to what I wrote down the term because I, I know the kind of cash flow you have. He says, listen, you got to worry about balance sheet risk. Bill, I, I don't know. I mean, when I see the amount of money you throw off, I'm not concerned, but maybe you can address it. Well, one of the things we also announced today, Jim, was the fact that over the next three years, we're going to return $4.5 billion to shareholders in the form of either dividends or share repurchases. This is on top of any, any of the exercise of the warrants that we have in Canopy. So this remains a strong cash generation business and one that, uh, frankly, I don't understand that question. Uh, we're in a great position. We continue to be in a great position. And the strength of our beer business is going to continue to have us in a great position going forward. Yeah, and we, we okay. added, Jim, that uh, we, were, we added to that that we would also get back uh, into our target uh, debt to EBITDA range of uh, 3.5 to 4.0 while we were returning the 4.5 billion to shareholders and on the assumption that we exercised the canopy warrants. Um, so, I mean, I would say neither Bill nor I understand uh, exactly what Pablo was saying in that regard. Right. Fair enough. Well, Rob, look, we, the elephant in the room, actually a positive elephant. I think we have Canopy on tonight, and Canopy stock is up huge. The numbers there are extraordinary. You have bought in at a great level. Should we start thinking about uh, the, let's say, the, the growth of Canopy and stop worrying about this low-end spirits where maybe people are just trying to get high from low-end spirits, and you've got both bases covered? Well, I think two, two things, okay? Uh, I, we do think that the, the health of the base business, um, and in particular the beer business, is, is critical. And I think the good news there is, is that uh, it's extremely healthy with, as Bill said, 9% uh, growth year-to-date. Uh, and uh, even going into December, uh, double-digit depletion growth. So uh, we're very confident uh, about the beer business and, and where that's heading. There's, there's literally no change there. Um, as far as cannabis goes, I mean, I think it's all a good news story. I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's been a lot of, uh, I, I would say, negative press and hyperbole uh, about it. But the truth of the matter is, is the Canadian government has just come out and said that uh, uh, the run rate currently is uh, roughly $6 billion, uh, which is exactly what we said it, right. it would be. We have a roughly 20 to 30% share of that, and we're anticipating that Canopy is going to be a billion dollar in revenue business in the next 12 uh, to 18 months. And in addition to that, okay, we said, and we still stick by this, uh, because as I said, there's no change. The news is actually getting even better, that the Canopy deal would be accretive by 2021. So uh, I think we've got all the bases covered, to tell you the honest truth. And the one sore spot in the business, the low-end uh, wine business, uh, I can assure you that, that that issue will be dealt with. And in fact, uh, we were already, as I said, pursuing uh, strategic alternatives relative to that even before uh, this quarter. So, you know, I'd say way oversold. The stock is an absolutely fantastic right. uh, value. In fact, my brother and right. I uh, acquired one million shares uh, in the last uh, week or so. Well, there you go. A million uh, shares, not a, mi not a million, not a million, <laughs> million dollars, Jim, a million shares. Actually, 1.1. 1. 1. Well, 
Oh, there you go. That is the most statement buy that's ever come on Mad Money. Rob Sands, the outgoing CEO of Constellation Brands. Bill Newlands, the president chief operating officer who takes over as CEO in March. More than a million share buy. What can I say? That says more than anything we say on air. Mad Money's back after the break. If you zoom out into the future and you look back and you ask the question, what was Apple's greatest contribution to mankind? It will be about health. Now, our business has always been about enriching people's lives. And as we've gotten into healthcare more and more uh, through the watch and through other things that we've created with research kit and care kit uh, and putting your medical records on the iPhone, this is a huge uh, deal. That was yesterday. How do we evaluate a stock like Apple today? Do we judge it for what it is now, a tech hardware company that we just learned maybe cutting its iPhone production by 10% over the next few months? Or do we judge Apple for what it could become based on the strength of its ecosystem? Yesterday, I walked away from my interview with Apple CEO Tim Cook, firmly convinced that this stock is worth owning down here at 11 times next year's earnings. Because the story is much bigger than the company gets credit for. But the stock has come down dramatically from its highs, and the slow drip of bad news continues. So is it possible that I'm just digging in my heels on a name that simply doesn't have what it takes anymore? Am I holding on to Apple like an old lovey blankie that gave me comfort oh for so long? No. I'm going to tell you why. When I heard about the 10% cut to the cell phone orders this morning, the only thing the analysts seemed to care about is the iPhone accounts for more than 60% of its sales, even though it was actually old news encompassed by Apple's pre-announcement already. I figured that Apple stock would open down and at least be down at some point, regardless of what Tim Cook told us last night. That's exactly what happened initially for a dramatic turn and a $2.50 increase by the close. Then a few minutes after that 10% cut uh, uh, story broke this morning, you know what happened? I was watching Squawk and a medical expert came on. Yeah, a guy named Dr. Paul Friedman. He's the head of cardiovascular medicine at the Mayo Clinic. Smart place, smart guy. He talked about how they're using artificial intelligence to predict heart failure by reading a patient's electrocardiogram, or EKG. This technology, he said, could save millions of lives. But how do you get that EKG? Well, you could go to your doctor and request one, kind of a hassle. Or Dr. Friedman said, you can get a smartwatch with an EKG app. And that right there within the span of 10 minutes is why Apple's such a conundrum. If you want an EKG, the Apple Watch is better than going to the doctor's office because you're constantly wearing it. So you get a much more accurate read than you would if you just come in fresh to the doctor. Yet the Apple Watch combined with the Mayo Clinic neural network could potentially save 7 million lives. That's the number Dr. Friedman said could be at risk for heart failure in this country. They just need to set up that handshake I keep talking about so Apple can pass along your EKG results to the right person in the medical system. Why doesn't the handshake exist right now? Wrong question. We should be asking when, as in when it happens uh, and this rolls out. It's not like there are 7 million Americans who should go buy the watch. There are 318 million Americans who should get tested and make sure that they don't have it. And that means if you do that, you got to buy the watch. And if you buy the watch, of course, you got to buy the phone. If you buy the phone, then you're part of the ecosystem. There are roughly 1.4 billion people worldwide who can avail themselves of all these incredible services that the ecosystem offers. And by avail themselves, I mean pay Apple for the privilege. Of course, I don't expect this story will move the stock on. Not right now. Not, not even anytime soon. 
You get that handshake to connect the watch to Mayo Clinic's neural network and something like that, and I bet that produces some positive headlines, which could potentially change the narrative. Until then, though, the stock will trade on every little data point that gives us some insight into the iPhone hardware sales. The thing is, it's not just about the usefulness of the Apple Watch's EKG app for this one program at the Mayo Clinic. That's one example I happened to see on television just this morning. There are tons of other uses. Put them all together, and you get the bountiful service revenue stream that I keep telling you about. The one that gives Apple a razor razor blade business model. But as long as iPhones make up more than 60% of Apple's sales, Wall Street will only care about the razors, not the razor blades. That's wrong. But that's why I expect Apple stock will stay mired at this level, either until the phone biz picks up again or the service biz grows to the point where it can no longer be ignored. Except, as I said at the top of the show, you won't be paying 153 bucks for this stock when that happens. You'll be paying well in excess of these levels when the services revenues finally cross over to be the main thing we talk about when we talk about Apple. Oh, uh, other than the number of lives that the company will have saved. Let's take calls. Let's go to Anthony in Florida. Anthony! Big booyah from Florida, Jim. Liking that. I'm in San Francisco. Good to talk to you. Good to talk to you. Uh, my question is about Nokia with the new 5G rollout. How do you expect that to benefit Nokia? I don't want you to buy Nokia because I think that they just simply can't execute. You want 5G? I'm going to give you one that's incredibly cheap and now battle-tested because of an estimate cut this morning. Skyworks Solutions. That's right. Skyworks Solutions is the way to play 5G. It's been de-risked because it just pre-announced bad numbers and the stock went up anyway. The sun is not set on Apple. Unfortunately, though, the truth doesn't matter. The orders control the stock for now. All right, much more man money ahead, including my exclusive with a red-hot one. Wow, up 12%. Canopy growth. We've heard Constellation Brands discuss his partnership with the cannabis company, but how does Canopy feel? I got the exclusive. Then Dexcom soared over 100% in 2018 alone. Could the move continue into the new year? I'm talking with the CEO. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Earlier in the show, we talked to Rob Sands, the outgoing CEO of Constellation Brands, as well as incoming CEO Bill Newlands about their relationship with beer and, of course, cannabis. Now, Constellation stock got dinged badly on a trim forecast. But at this price, you know what? You're getting their 40% stake in the number one cannabis company in the world by market share, Canopy Growth, pretty much for free. No no wonder Rob just bought more than a million shares. Look, the best-of-breed marijuana outfit, known for both medicinal and recreational cannabis, is on track to hit its billion-dollar revenue run rate target within 18 months, and it's entering into the red-hot CBD market here in the U.S., something that was just legalized by by the Farm Bill last month. You know what? Last night, we had a chance to sit down with Bruce Linton. He's the co-founder, chairman, and CEO of Canopy Growth Corp. Take a look. Bruce, it's happened. The J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference, the most important healthcare conference in the world, and they invited you and Canopy. How come? Well, um, I don't know. I think when you get $4 billion, maybe uh, your IQ and looks go up. But really, um, that was kind of a big breakthrough in August because it said Morgan Stanley advised uh, uh, you know, Constellation and uh, Goldman Sachs was around. Or sorry, Goldman Sachs advised Morgan Stanley is around. J.P. made sense. And last year, I wanted to come to this event. We were not welcome. You weren't welcome. No, because, you know, what is this marijuana company from Canada? Right, but right. now our dance card has been chock-a-block because everybody who's in pharma who is sort of in different plays are saying, well, what are you doing about pain? Um, where do you play into things like mood? Where do you fit on, um, you know, the whole neurological disorder spectrum? What's a sleep trial you have? Oh, you have an animal product set that you're trialing now, too. 
And so there's a little bit of disruption for a lot of players. Even though it was Constellation, which you know is Modelo and Corona gave yeah. you the money, you have been really deeply, deeply uh, connected with the intellectual property that is needed yeah. to do real medicine. Yeah, because at the end of the day, um, the best recreational products are going to be informed by science. And science, if done properly, should turn into protectable IP. Right. And so we filed about 140 patents. We filed U.S. first. Uh, and now we're diligently working a way to validate them. But that, that's the moat you have to dig if you're actually going to have a preserved future. Now, there's been some backlash recently, some articles that talk about maybe we don't know that much. Let's just go down and you tell me about what cannabis can do versus what we're taking traditionally. Mm -hmm. Sleep, traditional, I'm always worried, addictive. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, so um, the way we looked at it was we asked our patients. So think about 85, 100,000 patients. We have right the contact now. information, so we can ask them. We can say... Why do you buy cannabis? What ailment? What frequency do you uh, dose with? Which one's what time of day? And so what we try to do is instead of go after like what are called orphan drugs, small indication, we said, no, we're going right up the middle. And so let's pick what the plant does. Let's take the plant apart, resynthesize it, put it into a mechanism of delivery and say, people buy it for sleep. And mm -hmm. what they, you know who can't sleep? You and me. You know why? It's called, well, you, it's because you work all the time. But for me, it's called uh, essentially, uh, you know, we wake up thinking about work. Okay. and you have anxiety in your sleep. So if we can work on that, it's a huge segment. And in, you look at the incumbent products. Nobody's running around saying, I love Ambien. Nobody. Uh, and and right. so um, the opportunity is to disrupt an existing business with a large cohort of people who all have the wealth to pay, and what they can't get is a good sleep. Now, we also know that uh, these people who may be naysayers, how, uh, what are they thinking about, say, opioids, yeah. pain addiction? Uh, uh, opioid versus, say, what you're offering. Yeah. So... Um, we got a bunch of things around that space. First, um, there's a bunch of indications you probably don't need to be given opioids. So, you know, if, if you um, or I were going to go off and get hip surgery, I think I would only want a cannabis-based first line. Don't put me on the heavy stuff. But if you're going to go on the heavy stuff, um, why don't alkaloids, which create opioids, become friends with cannabinoids so that maybe I can give you a concoction that results in having lower anxiety so you don't think about the pain. Right. And that's extend the, the duration. The reverberation right, pain. the reverberation. So we do that, and then we've got about a two and a half million dollar uh, academic study on how do we wean people from opioids using cannabinoids, and we're doing that out of uh, University of British Columbia. And so when you, you there's a whole don't start them, don't take too many of them, right. and if you're stuck on them, how do we get you off the bus? And I think that that is a very purposeful, well thought out plan. And at the end of the day, um, I think we're going to be rewarded commercially and probably societally. I think so. Now, you are what I regard as being the expert on this, and therefore we just got a hemp bill yes. in this country passed. What does it mean for canopy, given the fact that you grow in Canada, you got to yeah. grow in U.S.? Yeah. So um, we announced we're coming in on the hemp bill, but people should be a very clear in understanding that you can now grow hemp, but if you extract CBD, which is the, the primary active ingredient people want out of it, the FDA has not said, and they've been very clear, this is not yet ready for human consumption. And so what we are working on is how do we get the data to help make sure that this can be an approved, delivered, whether it's something you're eating, putting on as a topical. Um, but the infrastructure to process it is very similar to that that we'll need to process cannabis. And so we think it's a really good time to come in, uh, take our science, move to finished products, whether they're for dogs so they don't have uh, anxiety for geriatrics, but get really ready for the next wave. Now, it, it, I would believe that there are a lot of crops that aren't making that much money. A lot of farmers are going to switch to growing hemp. Yeah. It's going to lower the price of hemp. What does that mean? Well, I think um, 
as soon as you get it from uh, hemp, it's probably about one one thousandth of the price of getting CBD from cannabis. Like one one thousandth. So what it's going to mean is that unless you actually have a plan to create finished goods that people stand in line to buy, the ingredients aren't the value. But you know that. Like how right. many people uh, get super excited about sugarcane? Um, but there's a lot of stuff we buy with sugar and that we pay a high price for. Right. And so I think that you're going to find with hemp, um, it could end up being accidentally very disruptive to other things. Like if the cost of the hemp plant is so low, uh, what happens to cotton? Um, right. where, where else right. does, where, so I, I think what people should look at is there could be all kinds of unintended consequences of hemp becoming the, the disruptor to sectors other than just CBD. We're following. Now, I think that maybe the most exciting thing is one that you've taught me that people don't talk about. Internationals check yeah. Yeah, I, I almost, I, yeah, I'm a bit of an idiot to even be here and say anything because I like people to just stay focused on the U.S. But uh, globally, in the fall, you know, Malaysia said we're going to regulate Which it. Which is amazing, isn't yeah. it? Malaysia! First, first Southeast Asian, first Muslim-led country that says this is, let's look at it. Thailand, I think the vote was like 380 to zero opposed to it. Um, Colombia, all through South America. We've got Poland now structuring in. Italy. Um, really, if you look at Europe, England's on this now. The only place that's not really playing in Europe uh, is, Germ or is France. Um, and so the whole world is coming around to good public policy. The good public policy tends to be largely driven by uh, how the Canadian uh, experiment's right. gone. Right. And so for us, if I can arrive at a country and what I need to do is change the language in which we educate the doctors, but use all of the same materials that we've used, 60,000 doctor visits in Canada, it's a pretty good jump. And so that's going now. Well, I got to tell you, I, you know, I, this is the only one I'm recommending. And I also like Constellation. You've got the cash yep. and you've got the experience. That's Bruce Litton. He's the chairman and CEO of Canopy Growth. The symbol is CGC. It is listed on the New York Stock Exchange. Go do your work and then take, take advantage of the fact that this stock's down. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? It's time for the lightning round. Comes around to start with Andy in Indiana. Andy. Booyah, Professor Kramer. Booyah. I've got a pair, and I love them. Uh, Turtle Beach, symbol H-E-A-R. Stock has come down a lot. I think it's actually okay. You know, look at Logitech, too. That has really gotten hammered. Let's go to Bob in South Carolina. Bob. Hey, Jim. Six days to the new year. Been a listener since day one, my friend. Need an advice on Chevron long-term. Uh, look, I don't mind Chevron. I don't mind Chevron, but BP, which is on my channel, trust you can follow on by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. BP announced a billion-barrel fine. I'm trying to get my executive producer, Regina Gilgan, to let us get down there and look at that fine, which apparently is not that far from Grand Isle. BP is the one with the 6% yield. Let's go to Mike, Mike, Mike in Michigan. Mike! Hey, Mike from the Motor City. Love the show. First time caller. We are on getting Golden Tate to the Eagles. He's going to take you guys to another Super Bowl. Agreed. Uh, my stock is CNC Centene. I'm a novice investor, wondering uh, if it's a good time to buy now or do I'll I wait you, for the stock pullback? Is, is falling, it's falling, uh, it, it's falling from 148 to 118. Michael Nidorf's incredible. I think it is a terrific buy. I would buy it right here. This one's not going to bounce off twice from the goalpost. Let's go to Steve in Florida. Steve! Yeah, uh, Bob Shava holds CBS. 
I like CBS, but let me throw you a little curveball here. I think the better buy is Viacom, which has come down a lot. And Bob Backus had some very good things to say. Viacom, 2.76% yield and down to 29. That's the one to buy Kevin in my old home state of Pennsylvania. Kevin! Hi, Jim, and booyah to you. Booyah. I just want to know how uh, Churchill Down Incorporated CHDN during the stock market. It, it has been a fabulous stock for multiple years, and I don't think that's going to change. It has ups and downs, vicissitudes, but I like it. Let's go to Arlene in Illinois. Arlene! Hi, Jim. Uh, I'd like to know what you think about AutoZone. AutoZone has got the best buyback of any company I've ever seen. They can slowly and methodically pull stock in. I've been recommending the stock since the buyback began. This is a great level to buy, even up here, just 60, 70 points from its high. A lot of stocks are up a lot these years. It, uh, since the year began, this one's down. I like that. Bill in Florida. Bill! Hey, Jim. Happy Booyah for 2019. That's our year of triumph. I'm, wa- I'm watching the energy stocks, and they're, they're going positive. However, I've taken a position in N-Link Midstream, and it's off at low. It's paying a dividend of 11.4. Uh, should I buy, sell, or hold? Okay, I was going over with Ben Soto. We've got to be able to, Ben and I, he's a research director, we've got to be able to do a thing on the MLPs which tell you which ones are dangerous, which aren't, because the MLP group is starting to rally here big. It's been the best performing group of the entire market since the year began. Let me do some more work to find out whether that dividend is safe or distribution, as they call it. Let's go to Jimmy in New York. Jimmy! Hey, Jim, this is Jimmy Volt, New York City. First time, Good long time. time. All right. Wanted to get your thoughts on Boyd Gaming, BYD. Booyah! Bye, bye, bye! I like that stock. Now, why? Because I like gaming companies that are not levered to China. And Boyd Gaming certainly isn't. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Every year at the big J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference, the one we flew all the way out to San Francisco to cover, there are always a few companies that really stand out because they tell such fantastic stories. So who made it to the winner's circle this year? How about Dexcom, one of our faves? Here's a company that makes continuous glucose monitoring devices. It's a sensor you stick on yourself to measure your blood sugar. These things are rapidly becoming the standard of care for patients with diabetes because they're so much more convenient and constantly pricking your finger to take a manual reading. When Dexcom presented on Monday, the company pre-announced some fabulous fourth quarter revenue numbers and also issued full-year guidance for 2019 that came in well, well, well ahead of what the analysts were looking for. Business is good. So it's no wonder the stock has rallied a spectacular 19% this week, but can it keep climbing? Let's take a closer look with Kevin Sayer. He's the executive chairman, president, and CEO of Dexcom. Get a better read on what's driving this outperformance. Mr. Sayer, welcome back to Man Money. Thank you, Jim. It's good to be here. Sir, I was looking for, I mean, these numbers are staggering, $285 million. You you think revenue is going to exceed $331 million? That's the biggest beat I've come across this year. It's a big beat, and it was a lot of work, but, but, but our new G6 platform is such a strong and powerful launch that people have spoken. Well, uh, they really want the technology. I, I think they've spoken because, as this great slide is entitled, no finger sticks should mean no finger sticks. Explain that to us. Our device is, is labeled for no finger sticks, and literally what the, what the FDA labeling says is if 
your symptoms are different than what our number displays, you should take a finger stick. Or if you can't see anything on the screen, you should take a finger stick. Other than that, you can rely on the technology. And other technologies have not achieved that goal. We have the, 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 the prime position with respect to sensor performance in this market. Well, you're changing people's lives. We met with a lot of companies, and look, a lot of companies are trying to uh, uh, get chronic uh, care for cancer. Uh, most of the companies are. Some people are working on a couple of other things involving other parts of the body. This is an epidemic. You've oh, it's got, huge. I mean, how many people can be screened that might have this that could really benefit from yours? I think the big question, Jim, is how many shouldn't, shouldn't be screened. A anybody, when you get to a certain age, the risk of type 2 diabetes or prediabetes is very large. And over time, as we move our device into more of an analytics and diagnostic product, as our technology becomes more disposable and, again, easier to use, it, it should be part of every physical. Let's see what's happening with your glucose values. We have my glucose values. We've been talking about this on, right. on my phone today. I, for example, had a very big glucose spike because I was rooting for Alabama and was very upset. So mm. I ate a couple of brownies, Jim. It was not a good thing. Well, yeah, that was a cannabis <laughs> moment for some people. Uh, there's a slide in your deck, G6, direct-to-watch capability. When I rewatched yesterday out with Tim Cook, uh, I have the watch. I get the EKG. I can't imagine a better partnership, frankly, than Dexcom and Apple. It's a very good partnership uh, of our phone users, the largest portion of our users who use the mobile app, use the iPhone and the iOS system. We are now working on architecture to send that signal directly to the watch so a patient doesn't even have to carry their phone. And with the new cellular watches, with our share capability, patients will be able to share that data with other people just wearing the watch rather than carrying the phone around with them. It's well, going to be a wonderful application. I think that's terrific, but you also have a relationship with Google, with Alphabet, with Verily. A lot of people are saying, well, when is this Verily going to develop something? It sounds like they've got to develop a pretty good relationship with you. We have worked very hard. We restructured our agreement earlier this year to make things a little clearer. We originally started uh, with a long-term plan, and we're following that. The ultimate product we expect to launch with them is much smaller than the current product. It will have a longer life. It will be disposable. It will also be lower cost, uh, so we'll have more flexibility to go to other markets. We're very excited about it. It's all hands on deck. We've announced a late 2020 launch of this technology initially with a full rollout in 2021, and we're working hard. Well, how could it get smaller than this? <laughs> Electronics change dramatically. Uh, over time, and we've learned a lot with this. For example, as you look at the size of this product, our current product offering, there's a transmitter inside uh, of that sensor. The Verily product, all the electronics are built into one unit and one housing with the same connectivity, the same power, the same Bluetooth experience that patients have today. And, and we've been able to shrink this because that's what happens in the electronics world. Well, I want to transfer that to, to humans. Uh, we don't talk enough on our business channel about what lives people save. We talk too much about earnings per share. You're saving some lives, particularly children's lives. We, we, it is the most gratifying place one could ever work. I got a letter from a patient not long ago, a sixth grade patient who had to write about her hero, Spencer the Sensor, and talked about the glucose sensor that saves her life every single day. And we go to banquets and stuff, and we all get hugs from strangers we've never met because of the wonderful work uh, that our engineers, our, our, our team has done in developing this te technology and get it out there. It's very gratifying. You did just coming up what you were telling me in the elevator in this building, Just right? in the elevator, actually, where we're having our meetings. But, right. yeah, somebody said, you're from Dexcom? You've, you saved my daughter's life. I mean, it, it's like that all the time. And this technology is just, it's what we always envisioned it would be.
Well, I, I also want people to know you can get automated email, SMS updates. Parents can get these things, too, right? I mean, it's you've really figured out the way. I mean, look, there's Uber, OK? There's Airbnb. And then there's Dexcom. <laughs> We hope so. We have a bright, bright, big future across a number of markets, not just the market we serve today. What? You mean more than diabetes? Oh, we think related to diabetes, but we believe glucose is a health sign as well. Ultimately, this product can become a product for pre-diabetes and a diagnostic. 84 million. There's a lot of people uh, that could be screened. That's a lot of sensors to build. Well, look, you've done remarkable things, and thank you for all the people I know in the same, same thing, same position. Say thank you to when you see Kevin, because it's that great. Kevin Sayre, the executive chairman, president, and CEO of Dexcom, which was the winner, the best presenter at the whole J.P. Morgan conference. They have money's back in. I keep thinking NVIDIA, it's the right level. Intel, right level. AMD, Lisa Sue on today, fantastic interview, right level. All because they are just now going to be reflecting what's going to happen later in the year. Now, I want to talk about Constellation for a second. I know the stock's been down, but do you hear that Rob Sands bought more than a million shares? I mean, he bought it before even this uh, number today. Doesn't that tell you something? To me, it says if you want to own cannabis, you own it through S. T-Z, because Rob Sands put his money where his mouth is. I like to say there's always a bull market song. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow.